Johnny V, Johnny Vidakovich, welcome back, brother. Thanks. Nice to be here. I just wanted to get um, the the guy, the cat that instilled the faith in you that when he said, Johnny, just sing, right? You're playing the snare drum, and, and then he said, just sing. You can sing. You can do it. And you were like, I've never sung before. And then, he, and then you sang, and he had, you know, he had faith in you. Was that... Was that prior to you getting into the the music school at fourteen? Well, that was probably when I was thirteen, and uh, I, you know, I had just got my my first set of drums and uh, got to take going to the junkyard and playing in a shed and learning traditional music from old man Warren Duncan. And, uh, you know, that was just the, the, just uh, me going from grammar school into junior high school that, that period, you know, 12 year old, 13 year old period. And, uh, he, uh, You know, played, you know, played the piano and taught everybody how to play the tunes. You know, and when he, when he, when uh, singing didn't show up and he asked me to do that, he, he, I got up in front of the band and got from behind the set of drums and stood up in front of the band to sing the songs. And he switched over and played the drums. Wow. You see, I dig. So I he he put you right out front. He he didn't even give you time to think. You just. You didn't know what was going to happen. You just but what tunes can you what tunes can you get through? And I named about five or six songs, and you know, and in the meantime, I learned a couple more. You know, you know, because it it got to be like a, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 a plan B in case the singer uh, something like that didn't show up or he wanted something done. You know, specifically, and they say you go ahead and. Do, you know, do, uh, do these four, five, six songs, whatever. You know, that'll be enough. Cool. Thanks. Good job. He jumped back on the piano. I jump up that back behind the drums. You know, that's all. You know, just I was just Plan B. You know, but there was no preparation. There was there was no, there was no there was no there was no no preparation. No no plan. Just you know, let's do it. You know, let's make it happen. You know. Absolutely. I, you know, this is an interesting thing. I, this is, you know, I had a chance, uh, George Porter and I did an interview, a couple of, another interview a few months ago and he, uh, talked to me about this cat, Chuck Beatty. And, um, this is what Beatty said. He said at the Grunwald school of music, the white musicians practiced on the first floor. We were on the second floor in those days. There were no black kids in white schools. My teacher, Otto Fink, he was a veteran of several symphony orchestras, and he said we'd be doing ensemble playing upstairs, playing his arrangements, and a lot of white musicians downstairs came upstairs to play with us. I always tell my friends, I always tell my friends I know a school that wasn't segregated in New Orleans. Were you hip to Grunwald and or uh, Wurline? Any of these, any of these music stores, I found that fascinating that this one music store, whatever you want to call it, was a breeding ground for black and white musicians to play. 
you know, yeah, I knew about Grunwalds. I had been in there maybe once or twice, but not for any music lessons. I, w- I was taking drum lessons at Campo Brothers Music Store, which was a smaller music store. I had friends taking drum lessons at Warlines, and I knew of people taking uh, later, later uh, you know, when I was 12 or 13, I knew a, I, I met people that took lessons at Grunwalds. But uh, in, in the very beginning, you know, and uh, I, I, I was associated with a much smaller music store called Campo Brothers. Totally. No, so that's my, yeah. So why, let me ask you, was that just dumb luck that you went there or, or did they really let you be yourself there? Uh, I just went there for, uh, for you know, to take my, 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 my private uh, half hour uh, drums drum lesson from Charlie Sewer. You know, uh, the there was no uh, there was no band, there was no social uh, kind of uh, group. All of that took place in school for me. Um, I just think it's interesting to know, I would like to know, um, I mean, yeah, this is, this is from my interview with Charlie. He said, I started teaching at Campos on Broad Street in New Orleans in the early 60s. I was right. a school teacher with a big family, so I needed the dough. I lost my good jazz chops. That's his saying. I don't think he did, but I lost my good jazz chops at the time, but I understood and knew how to teach. I had a bunch of high school drummers, and I would teach them reading first, and then when they could read, I would bring records in, and they would play along to the records. I even taught them how to kick with the brass by, by writing out the kick parts on the records. Johnny must have been about 13 or 14 when I met him, and he wasn't the quickest study, but when he laid it down, he laid it down with perfect timing. The first time I realized this on the set was after I had moved him onto the trap set after reading. We had a crappy old set in the studio. Mr. Campo let us use an old set, and I could never get a sound out of it. Johnny sits down at the set and taps the cymbals and doesn't like the sound, so he moves his wrist around a little bit and taps it again and gets a pure sound. He hits the snare drum and it echoes weird, and so he hits another part of the snare drum. He had a natural sense of the tonal possibilities of drumming, which is what Baby Dodds had and Max Roach had. He got a better sound out of those drums than I could. I knew that he was a special player even when he first started playing the drums for me. He had a very delicate, pure touch, and I knew that was the touch of a jazz player, and he studied with me for four or five years. Do you remember that trap set at Campos? Very well. Yeah, I, rem- I remember it exactly. Let's yeah. let's talk yeah. about it. let's talk. This is the because Emil, the late great Emil Richards, told me too with when he was playing with Bags, Milt Jackson, Milt had the funkiest vibraphone, and he got the warmest, nicest sound. So let's just talk about the science of sound, and you know the tonal possibilities of getting a great sound out of basically. Of, of a jaded, faded trap set. <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't even a set of drums. That was a, like a bass drum, <laughs> a, a snare drum, a tom tom from no, uh, I, I don't know where, and then uh, an, another cocktail drum with a calf's head on it 
that was tacked down with tacks. It didn't even have tension rods or a hoop on it or anything. It just looked like some exotic thing out of a goddamn uh, 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 thrift store or something, or a Hawaiian goddamn uh, souvenir shop. I uh, love it. It's it, like, it was like a Martin it, it Denny was, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was the floor song. And the cymbals, you know, the cymbals were just like clunks, you know, they were just like clunks. But, uh, uh, you, you know, that didn't mean that you couldn't play them. <laughs> well, there's a big difference. Here's the thing, Johnny. When he talked about the wrist, I mean, that's like a pitcher. That's like, that's like Jake Feinberg in baseball. Like you know, going to a three quarters, three quarters sidearm pitch to throw off the hitter. You're tuning. You're you're moving your wrist to find that golden sweet spot. I mean, please talk. I mean, as best you can. I think, like you said to me before, it was kind of. Uh, really broke me open a little bit it was just you're like you are the drum set you are the your arms and your legs and your feet and your hands i mean can you i mean as best you can can you talk about the magic of basically you can get sound out of something but that doesn't mean it's going to sound good you know i mean yeah oh yeah when i went into this room to take the music lessons uh uh, 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 at, the, at the same time, you know, I was about 12 years old and, and, and going, you know, going to be 13 sometime. And uh, my mom got me this small set of drums used. She paid about three or four dollars a week for them, you know, and uh, she bought them on a, like, you know, payment plan. Sure. And, uh, and, I, and the agreement was I had to take drum lessons. So I did. So Charlie shows the drum, blah, blah, blah. But in the, so when I went into Charlie's room, I already had these drums that my mom got me, you know, these used drums to play on in, at, at home in my grandmother's living room, which was a plaster walls, you know, and a wood floor and high ceilings. You know, so I, I, I was, I, you know, I, I, I had been beaten on drums in that room, you know, trying to make it sound good to a small portable phonograph that my mother got for the first time and, uh, you know, play along with some records. And in the meantime, just try, you know, I was already, you know, accustomed to trying to get sound right. Just, but just subconsciously as a kid, you know, nothing, nothing, uh, uh, academic or, or logical or thinking, you know, just naturally going to make something sound right. Yeah, you you know? were already accessing the astral plane. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even if you're beating on the... I was already beating on pots and pans and bongo drums, and I had a parade drum when I was younger, you know. All of that shit started when I, when I was about, you know, eight, eight or ten years old, you know. So, uh, 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 by this time, when I got the drums, you know, and got the Charlie Sewers, and I started taking, you know, when I, when, in, in his little cubicle of her teaching room were these <laughs> funky-ass drums. Oh, man. We, do we have so, a picture of know, those drums? I need a picture of those drums, dude. Oh, man. I would love to see them, man. <laughs> Holy and, cow. And, 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 and uh, uh, you know, he had a little phonograph. So, I, I mean, this is what I was dealing with, a cubicle, some funky, nice, good, dead-sounding drums, <laughs> and a, a, a little phonograph you know, maybe two six-inch speakers in it, you know? 
that's what I was dealing with. So I had to deal with that sound, you know. So I think as a kid, I had become conditioned to dealing with sound in spaces, you know, not because I was planning it, not because I thought about it, but because that's what I was doing. And as a kid, when you're at that age and you're in that in love with what you're doing and you don't know why, you don't even know you're in love but because you're doing it so uh, subconsciously or so uh, automatic pilot, you know, you've already created muscle memory to things that you didn't even intend to. And one of the things that I created a muscle memory to that I didn't intend to, it didn't have nothing to do with my brain or anything. It had to do with my strictly my taste and sense and smell and touch and, and vibration of sound going into my ears that stimulated my senses was how to make something sound good. Mm. So when I went into his room, that was just a natural thing to do. Just, you know, like I was in my grandma's living room trying to get these used drums to sound good, twisting and turning and, you know, Uh, you know, trial and error. The, 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 this so is, this is so important. I mean, as best you can. Listen, let's face it, Johnny. I mean, I could go walk into your living room today and we could pick out, you know, you know, any Clifford Jordan records or blues records or, you know, Freddie Hubbard or Astral Project. And you could, we put them on the phonograph and we're getting like crystal speaker sound, right? You know, really nice sound. Right. And you're talking about a couple of six-inch speakers on an old phonograph. And what, were the, what were the records that you were listening to, and how much really can you <laughs> – I guess here's the thing. How much can you this – is, this is the, the more important thing is, is because you couldn't really hear the records that well, truthfully. I mean, it was, it was, especially when you're playing the drums, I mean, you couldn't turn it up to decibel 10. I mean, yeah. can you talk as best you can about how that multi-sensory Vidakovich came into form? Because you really weren't, you were just, I mean, you were engaged in, in the non-thinking mind, but you didn't have the crystal clear dynamic stereo sound that we all have that people practice on today. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> 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 and and now, that I'm, now that I'm growing old, my, my crystal clear, sparkling hearing is so good. Anyway. Hey, you know what, though? It, I mean, you, you had a, you've had a good run. You've had a good run. Yeah? <laughs> I played some loud-ass drums, and I sure did destroy a lot of my hair. Anyway, check this out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, the speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it's all a matter of perspective, you know? You know, that, to me, that sounded brilliant. You know, those two. That's right. They sounded water. pristine. Yeah. You know, I mean, to, to me, the closer I leaned my head down to them, the, the, the more, you know, the more in heaven I was, you know. Uh, uh, it, it's all a matter of perspective. Like, a basketball player sees the ball spinning in the air. He's trained his eye from playing basketball and looking at that ball spin that he can see which way those black lines are spinning and he can tell which way that ball is going to reflect when it hits the backboard because he can see by the spin on the black lines, the English, right. that which way that ball is going to go. But yet that basketball player can, cannot understand how a batter getting ready to hit a fastball coming at him 
at 90-something miles an hour. How can that batter possibly be able to see the stitching on that ball to, to, to know, know what kind of way it's spinning and what kind of ball it might be or which kind of direction it's going to go in? But yet a baseball player can train his eye to see the stitching on a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. But a basketball player can't understand that perspective. So it's all a matter of perspective, you know. And you have to do it in the real time. I mean, it's yeah, fa- yeah it's fair to say that, saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at, at that time, I, you know, I automatically, through repetition, uh, through, not through repetition, but through some repetition, but through the given, the, the given situation of, of the sound, that that was, you know, what I was hearing, seeing, and perceiving. You know, no, this is so intense. I mean, I, I you know, Johnny, it's... I was just living in a now, you know, well, and, and, that, and yeah, to tell exactly. you the truth, my, my decisions, what, what, when I did this tapping around to see what sounded good and what sound felt good, and la la la. When I did that, that was almost way subconscious, almost unconscious. It was just me tapping around and I stood and I don't know where to stop. I'm not making that to something else makes that decision that tells me to stop there it's not my mind saying oh this is the sweet spot later i'll make you know i'll make that decision you know why the hell i'm hitting over there and you know because somebody asked me or because i wonder why the hell i'm hitting over here you know know, uh if i don't ask myself that question then i'm always hitting over there until somebody asks me Right, right or until i ask myself and that's very seldom because as a child as a 12 year old that's the way I perceive the balls, you know, you know, I just read the stitching like that, you know, and, 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 and I didn't bother to think of where to start or stop, you know, it was, it was always luckily at that age, when you're a kid, when you're, when you're a child, when you're a, 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 a 12 years old, man, you, you, there's a lot of things you learn muscle memory. Thank God I was doing music, you know? Oh, man. Thank, I mean, no, but I also want to say, I think, like, the greatest cats, whether they were on steroids or not in baseball, I mean, I, I'm not sure if they're even, they're seeing the trajectory of the ball and anticipating where it's going to go, and they try to get their bat on the ball, and they, I mean, you don't even have time to. Re- I think the greatest players don't even recognize what the pitch is. They nope. they just see nope. it, and and I think that's the same thing with you. You're like hitting this yep. one spot because it sounds yep. good. It fe- it's you've done it. Yep. It's muscle memory, right? Yeah, yeah. This is four stronger than me, and it's probably muscle memory and, and, and just you know the magic of molecules and sound and sound waves. You know, telling me where to stop my hand. bad and, and I've had a few situations where I've, I've really had to make some some conscious decisions and that's usually using backline equipment that's very poorly taken I've never had I've never had a bad set of drums you know right I mean I've had some I've really had some horrible you know pieces of shit but you know there's only been a couple of times where you know I had some shit that was really totally bad. You know, but I tell you what, I got through it. Well, I mean, it, I, made, it, it, I, made, I mean, it for Sewer, Sewer was just, I mean, he was blown away 
that you, he, you got a better sound at 13 years old than he could get out of those drums. And you were like turning yeah. your wrist around. It's like, you know, it's like, is he doctoring the baseball? Is he spitballing? What is he doing? You know, you got the wrist you thing know, going on. What, what, now that we talk about it and think about it, I know that. And I do not know why, how I did that, but that's the, where I was coming from. That's just, that's you just not yet. Know, Beautiful. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a conscious effort. Right. And it wasn't a conscious decision to stop where I stopped, you know? Which is like these interviews. There's no script, you know? It's just going around. I mean, it's, and then it feels good. I, I think this, the other thing he said, he said, he, um, <clears throat> I knew that Johnny had the touch of a jazz player. And, you know, listen, let's be very clear. I mean, if me and you sat on a street corner, um, you know, down in the French Quarter and, we asked 20 different people that came by what their definition of jazz is, we'd get 20 different answers. Um, it is no longer a popular music in this country. Uh, but at, when you were 13, um, it was still a, ver- a, a driving force in music. It was a popular music. Um, and so as a result, when he says guys like Baby Dodds, and Max Roach, we're talking about, well, at least with Max, I mean, somebody who was, I don't want to say finesse, that's the wrong word. There was power and finesse. And, you know, in today's modern world, um, we're so driven by heavy rock music, pulsating double bass drums, very little dynamics. It speaks to the fact that instrumental melodic music is not popular music anymore. And, and, so, I mean, can you talk a little bit about, like, I just, I just can't see cats, like, you know, playing, like, rock beats, uh, like, heavily at that time. I mean, jazz was a popular music, and therefore it kind of fit in, what do you, in your mind, what do you think, when he says he had the touch of a jazz player, what does that mean? What, what, what kind of touch did you have? It was, it was... It was soft and hard. It was melancholy and b- bright. It was talk about in your mind at that time what that meant because the touch of a jazz. Reggie Workman told me he's like you can go to a set, you can go to a set of great jazz today in New York. This is a few years ago, and the drummers will never touch the cymbals, the the colors, the cymbals as a coloring instrument. Joe Sample said the same thing. I mean, to me, the magic of jazz is getting all of that color. And I just wanted you to talk about that touch and the multi-sensory components of being a jazz drummer. Hmm. That touch, well, it starts, it starts a long time ago. You know, it starts when you first begin because you're kind of trying to draw the sound out of the object, you know. And uh, I think that to at such an early age hit on things and try to get sound out of them and listen to the music on the radio and try to emulate those sounds and feelings I think that I was driven to let sound uh, be part a major part of what I was and I think that being being part of the sound 
allowing sound to like go through you and and, and, and take over and you kind of like playing the sound of which taken you and I think that you know you can be taken by sound and I think in my in, in those that 12 year old period where we're talking about hitting The, uh, the the thing that was making me search for, you know, and 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 and, and become part of playing and what's to come, you know. The sound is, is something that takes you over, you know, and uh, a lot of people have a particular sound in mind that they're looking for, and. Uh, I, for example, don't have a particular sound that I'm looking for, but I'm rather open to what sound looks for me and uh, when it feels good, then uh, and that sound is maybe, for example, we'll be talking about my touch. I think early, you know, in those early years, I did have that touch and what Charlie might be referring to as what I call that crispy, sparkling kind of effervescent type of buoyant touch. Absolutely. And as opposed to beating sound down into the instrument, down into the drums, down into the cymbals, it's more like you're scooping sound out, pulling it out. You know. Oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. You're pulling it up. You know, know, like you're hitting down, but it's sort of like a, a karate punch. You don't think one, two. It's all actually one because before you get to the striking point, you're already in recoil motion. <laughs> so you're really scooping the sound off of the surface of the drums and you're scooping the sound, but you look like you're going down with it. Like when you crack a whip, you have to know what, when the end of the whip's going to come to the end because you have, to, you have to jerk it back before that happens. Wow, that's true. Or else the end of the whip goes all the way out, then you can't crack it back. What you do is you throw the whip out, and right before the last tip part of the whip gets to the to the thrown out position, that's when you pull it back. So that's what snaps against the end of the whip, right? Absolutely. You know how whip works. So uh, yeah, striking the surface of the drums and the cymbals is the same thing. I think of it as pulling the sound out of the instrument, like a tap dancer doesn't think about beating the sound down into the ground. What he's looking for is buoyancy. He's looking for, uh, he's looking for more of a, uh, he's looking for more altitude because he wants to be able to tap very quickly. So he has to be thinking up, even though it looks like he's tapping down into the ground, a tap dancer is looking for altitude to be a good tap dancer. He's got to float above the ground so he can tap it. Absolutely. So he can beat it. You know, and that's where I feel about drums, too. It's like dancing on a surface of them. And with that, okay, now to touch it, Charlie's talk, why is it a jazz touch? Because, you know, I'm, I was playing with other instruments, you know, and I knew that you had to play soft. I was playing, uh, you know, or else you would cover them up. We didn't have big amplifiers or no amplifiers at all. You know, our first cat I played with played tub. He didn't play bass. It was a tub. He played washed tub bass. Washed tub bass. Yeah. Oh yeah. my. He played with. Oh my God. AJ DeSherry. AJ DeSherry. Oh and my. Later on, that it is became a great sick. electric bass player. Oh my <laughs> God. The washed tub bass. I love it. Yeah. 
AJ DeSherry and his wife Darlene. She used to dance with the band. Oh my <laughs> God! Wait, wait, hold on. This was this wasn't a this wasn't a big band, was it? No, but it had a lot of people that went through it, bro. A lot of kids, bro. A lot of kids stuff. I mean, this is like what? something out of the Quest. This is like this is like Fritz Richmond playing the the. I mean, or or somebody out of the Questkin Jug Band. I mean, I can't believe he was playing bro, a what. It was a kid institution, bro. Right. I just, I love the washtub bass. I mean, is it, is it, is it, is it, um, I mean, how, just sort of moving around here, I mean, when you run into modern drummers, students of yours who have been essentially inundated with electronic beats, straight beats, and actually using the instrument to play down, like you talked about, like not, elevating the sound but like playing yeah, yeah, yeah. down is that something yeah. are, you, are you able to articulate like how you get them to become more buoyant so that you're like basically get like the whip the whip analogy where you're just sort of flying you're, you're, you're bringing the sound up because that's that's what elvin did that's what you know that's that's what makes it so it, you just go higher you're just going higher and higher and i realize now if you just okay. talk to me with this, uh, these straight beats and stuff, it's just they're pounding it into the ground, and it's like they're hitting the. They can't go. They're hitting conch. They can't go any any lower. You re, with the with the sky. If you're going up with sound, there's it's an infinite. You can't. You, there's no. There's no. There's no ceiling. I mean, I mean, uh, 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 a lot of guys are, are very. They have an epiphany, you know, when uh, when they realize that about <clears throat> drumming, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot, a lot of guys, uh, you know, yeah, they say, yeah, okay, I understand, but that, that you know, it's at that point sometimes, sometimes that can be that can, it's not it's not the thing. It can be one of the many things that separates the men from the boys or the drummers from the musicians. Right. You know, uh, at that point, when, when, if if they want to go in that direction, you know, for some people it's not practical. Suppose you're a dude. I don't know. I don't know how heavy metal dudes think. You know, but uh, uh, you know, I know, I know hard rock dudes, man. The, the ones that that I, that I like the best, man. Uh, guys like. Uh, 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 J.P. Gatterer, you know, with Clutch. Sure. And, you know, uh, J.P. Gaster with Clutch. Uh, and, 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 you know, I mean, you know, this cat, you know, he has a beautiful touch. Mm. Yeah, the tape. Yeah, yeah, right. beautiful right. touch. He is so fantastic. But anyway, you know, I, I think that, you know, uh, 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 for me it makes a more smoother, linear type of or melodic, rhythmic uh, type of drama, in addition to being a very vertical, lay it down, boom, boom, suck the jack, you know, I mean, that can be too, you know, but, uh, 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 you know, a, a drummer has to be aware of both, of, 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 both, of both types of musical motion that are real, not subjective, real. And in other words, I mean, harmonic motion, which is very vertical, and melodic, rhythmic, rhythmic, rhythmic motion, which is, linear which is horizontal so you got a vertical harmonic rhythm and you have a, a linear melodic 
horizontal rhythm. That's what I call melodic rhythm, harmonic rhythm. One's vertical, one's horizontal. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so, yeah. uh, I mean... Um, two, pers- two perspectives again, right? But it, for me, when I'm playing, I'm oscillating between two pers- those two perspectives when I'm playing music. And, well, and, and, and actually, I think what's music. and it's just brilliant because it's the times that I've seen you live. Um, it's clearly you've left the thinking mind, so it's completely in, it's in the moment co- creation, oscillating back and forth without even thinking about it. And that's oh, the. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. what's if you could talk about the one, what is one thing that the cats say when they have the epiphany about this idea of upward sound gravitational pull upward and is it something that i just think it's important to know just for the layperson can cats i mean they can shed all they want and they can try to you know comp things but can they do you find that cats when they have the epiphany if they are trying to be themselves that they can sort of refine their skills to go from the the dense be, here's the point. Can they refine their skills from being a drummer to becoming a musician, musical drummer or musician? That surely is a ticket to get in the door, whether it be an orchestra seat, a balcony seat, you know, or whatever. That is definitely a ticket that's going to get you more on the inside. Everything else is pretty much what I call external knowledge, you know, right. things that you're going to practice, things that you're going to do. A method that you're going to follow in order to obtain something, but at the same time, when you get to a certain point in your life, after you have a lot of ba- like we talked about in our first conversation, basic fundamental b- blocks, basic blueprints, basic God, well, you know, you spend a lot of your early and and informative and novice years in uh, 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 what I call external learning. Books, records, uh, you know, pe- idolize people you idolize, uh, 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 experiences, gigs. You know, you're taking in a lot of external information. At some point, if not whether it be earlier or later, at some point you have to go on the inside and access that internal knowledge. You have to learn how to let that be your teacher as well of your of experiences of who you are and what you are. In addition. Find out who you are. Find out if there is an inner you, or find out if there's an opening. And that's what the inner you is about. It could be about an opening as opposed to a particular version of oneself. It could be that this person, this self, he's an opening. He's an opening for stuff to come through. Yeah, well, no, but you said it's a ticket to get into the show, but that's all it is, is yeah. the epiphany. Yeah. Did yeah, you, did you, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It's a ticket to get in there and, and help, and help you look for the true you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love this. This, do you feel that, you know, with uh, the, the cat, I forgot his name, but the, the washed up bass or, or the, even the, 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 bands that you started when you started to get real serious because we said as we talked in the first interview discipline is the gateway to freedom when you started to really hook into the to the sonic nature of the drums do you feel like 
Johnny, I mean, um, was there a discernible time when you got that ticket to the show, or were you all, even unconsciously already birthed be, being a music musician as opposed to a drummer? Uh, it, 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 uh, luckily, fairly early, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it was being it was being part of my external world from from practically jump street you know just being in the company of musicians more musicians than drummers at 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 at, at 12 12 years old at 13 years old you know i was in a, a, a band of young young trad players who were all better than me so i mean th- this this linear musical concept was around me from jump street more than the drumistic part of it so my external stimuli at that point in my life was more i would say musically had more musical elements as opposed to strict drumming elements so can you give an example? Can you give an example of, of the like a, uh, being around other musicians and how that influenced yeah, your musicality? Instead of, instead of hanging out with four drummers, exactly. I was hanging out with a, with a clarinet player, uh, uh, a tub player, and a piano player. Oh, that is awesome! That is so yeah. freaking cool. You know, <laughs> I mean, there were times in life when I did go to the movies, you know, in high school with uh, three other drummers, you know. And in college, when I hung out with two other drummers, but you know, the, the ratio to who I was hanging out with was the other way. It was, it was more musicians. And was it just that the the harmonic and melodic sensibilities of those musicians, because of the sound, it 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 encouraged you subconsciously just to, to play <laughs> upward? If, if the sound upward? I mean, it's to me, it makes total sense. I mean, it's it, everything is making sense, yet none of it was none of it was external. I mean, it, a lot of it was just inside. Like you were just feeling this this ascension of rhythm as opposed to beating it drumistic, beating it into the ground rhythm. Well, I didn't consciously make that happen. Sure. I think the, the spirit put me in those situations, and I now in retrospect and look back and say only thank God thank the spirit I was put there because I think it it made me who I am musically you know and I kind of like for the most part some of what I've become musically and so I think all of that was just I was put there by the roll of the dice you know, um, we all, I really we all, didn't plan it, and, you really know, that's the magic of John. No, that, that's the best part of the being an originalist mu- musical. You can ask, you can ask anybody. I never have a plan. I never, <laughs> you know, every, everybody, that was always pushing me off, you know, come on, man, come on, do this, you know? Right, and, right. You know, I mean, I never have a plan, man. I, I, I just, I just, I'm one of them fools who lets the wind blowing ways going and i've always been that way i just kind of like the trip <laughs> dude i mean no Don't but you're, you're the wind blow, yeah I mean, I mean come on but listen lewis hayes told me i mean until he got to play with oscar peterson nobody 
you, you made a very interesting point before about some people have a certain sound that they're looking for, especially in this modern time. They, they want a certain sound. They want a certain, certain sound, you know? And, and, and Lewis Hayes was like, nobody ever told me what the F to play on the drums. Obviously, when he got to Oscar, it was, a little bit, it was the hardest transition of his life. But it was the idea of, I mean, you're playing trad music with a, with a tub and a keyboard, a piano and a, a clarinet. I mean, part of it was that nobody was looking, looking for a certain sound. I, or were they? I mean, to me, it was like you had antiquated stereo systems. You kind of just were on your own. Your ears were huge. And so your upbringing really sort of aided. You were always a fly by the seat of your pants, no script cat anyway. But that was also the time. I can't see in your, maybe I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, but I can't just see in those middle adolescent teenage years anybody saying, you know, Johnny, I, I really want this kind of sound on the drums. I mean, Lewis, nobody ever told Lewis Hayes what kind of sound they wanted out of him. He played what he wanted, to, what he felt to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard this when I was uh, 27, 28 years old, boy, man. Wow. Stood real close, too. He was great. Oh, Louis, Louis, Louis came to check you out? No, I saw him. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no it was the other way around. No, no, no. <laughs> that dude was not taking... Yeah, I was like 27, 28. He was playing this, this real upscale club called Rosie's. He was playing with Stan Getz, man. Wow. It was, yeah, wow. it was fucked up. Wow. It was something. I said, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you were already yeah, in he... downbeat at 14, dog. You were doing all right. But, I mean, Louis, Louis Hayes did not, like, he'd be like, I don't care who it was. He'd be saying, you, I don't tell you how to play your horn. Don't tell me how to play. I don't care about this sound of the drum. I'm playing my drums. You don't tell me how to do it. Uh, uh, yeah, he's beautiful. Did you, you well, know, yeah. Uh, you know, no, I, I, I never thought about it too much, you know, but I know that one thing that made me and AJ happy, the tub player, AJ. Oh, that Jerry, dude, where's that cat? Is that cat still with us, by the way? Yeah, yeah, he's got, he plays electric bass. Dude, I need uh, to talk to that cat immediately, dude, the tub cat. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's a great cat. Oh, man, <laughs> dude, that, I just love, love the tub, man. He's the real McCoy. Oh, I have no doubt, dude. Nasty McCoy. electric bass player. Unreal. <laughs> yeah, he's great electric bass player. Uh, uh, no, so this is, the, yeah. the, you know, I, 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 we, this is a, kind of a set 1.5. We're really off to a raging start here. But the, the, the Sue Horse said, and again, he said, you know, Johnny wasn't the quickest study, but he could play with amazing touch. And I really want you to answer this question as honestly as you can, because I actually am hoping that, I mean, everybody that I interview, even cats that are your elders, um, because there were no um, uh, jazz schools, so to speak, um, everybody learned, they learned by ear first before they learned to read. And even though Charlie said that all of his students were mandated to read before they could start playing to records, I just feel that with Johnny V, it didn't work out that way. And did you learn, not when you were banging on pots and pans, but I mean, like, when you started to, in those middle teenage years, did you really read music at all, or was it, or were you playing by ear? Well, okay. 
with Charlie, the reason is that I wasn't the quickest study is because okay, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really like reading music, but I love to play on the drums. Exactly. So man, my reading music was you know maybe D level, but my playing on the drum set was maybe A level. <laughs> yes, so, dude. Yes. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, I was not the quickest study because uh, I, I would go over the lesson like an hour before I got to the lesson. Instead of going over it for, you know, I have a five, six days to go over it, you know. Yeah, but at the same time, then you know, the truth is, man, you sketch it, and then if you, if you, if you did it for six days, you'd suck all the life out of the tune. So I love your well, style. No, yeah. no, it'd be, it, no, it wouldn't be tunes. It would be specific exercise. Okay. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Know, yeah. Fundamental yeah. building blocks. Got you know, it. Not, yeah. not, not the rudiments. Blocks. But a, a, anyway, you know, I just did what I had to do to get to the drum set. You know, so, uh, you know, that, that was, Uh, 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 junior year in high school when uh, uh, the, uh, I started to have stiffer competition against taking my chair that I had a scholarship for, mm. you know, because they, mm. they had auditions mm. twice a year. But mm. I, I, I kept the chair for four years. There was oh, no problem. So but anyway. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 no, there I, was some I, competition, I, though. Yeah, uh, because competition got stiffer at high school on, on, on not only in that but on, on, even in the percussion section and concert band I just had to sharpen my skills I was there on a scholarship and uh, I, I just had to improve my reading and I did you know uh, uh, thanks to Joe Bear, who I owe a whole lot to who's my high school band director and my college band director but anyway uh, you know he, he sharpened my skills and I remember getting thrown out of gym class when I was uh, 14 or so because I, I didn't I, I didn't wear, I didn't wear a jock strap and my, and my drawers would hang out the bottom of my gym shorts and the, t- and the teacher would get pissed off because I didn't have sneakers and I would go on a basketball floor with with leather shoes and and he would oh. get really pissed off. He said, "But Doctor, let's go to the band room." So eventually, I got sent to the band room for the whole you know the whole the whole half a year. <laughs> And, but that's what, that's what that's you wanted to be there. You just, can you can you can you talk about? Um, <laughs> this is epic. Uh, I mean, what, I mean, skills. was it just him him saying, Johnny, you gotta you gotta find some meditative state to to cook to read for fifteen minutes a day, or did you learn to to to, to just sort of get it in your mind? I mean, how did you when you say he sharpened your skills? Because Johnny, here's the thing: in today's paradigm. Um, no matter how much talent you have, because they've codified the language of jazz, you would not have been able to move on until you demonstrated certain rudimentary skills. No matter back then, the magic was okay. The cat's just—he's sonically gifted. Let him go. That was the brilliance of it. You still see that in sports a little bit when people are—you know—they're in Double A, and then all of a sudden they're called up to the major leagues because they have that kind of God-given ability. But in today's world, I don't know. I'm not sure if they would have let you go on unless well, they... Well, bro, yeah. you know, back in 1962, 63, all-boys Catholic private school, you're there on, on the only music scholarship ever. 
full scholarship for four years, uh, I had to sharpen my skills. Right. Or else it wouldn't, I didn't fly. You know? Right, you wouldn't have made I mean, it. So what it took, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, by the time I was 13, going on 14, I was there on a scholarship that Charlie Sewell and Clem uh, Toka got me. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I, I couldn't bullshit no more with the reading because all the other drummers could read. And uh, uh, for the first year, I played cymbals. And uh, for the second year, I played bass drum. And it wasn't until the third year that I, that I was good enough to play tenor drum. And in the fourth year, they basically allowed me to play snare drum in a marching band. Of course, I played in, in, in a stage band, in a jazz band, in a big band, you know, so that, that was what I was really there for, but I still had to function in, in, in with all of this, you know, in the concert band, in the marching band, uh, in, a, in the percussion ensemble. I had to function in part of all of that. My last year, I had to learn timpani and mallets, you know, marimba and shit. I mean, wow. uh, the, you know, my, so my whole life changed, well, you know, very, very quickly after I bullshitted Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Sewell for about a year with my half-ass <laughs> reading, and I got into high school, and I, and then you know, by the time, by the time I was a junior, we used to be in the band room, and you put up your quarter, your thirty cents for lunch money, and the guy who could sight read out of the book with the metronome on the longest got the money. So you put five drummers, wow. put in thirty cents. Wow. <laughs> Flip the page on a page that nobody saw, and, and, and pass the book around. And the drummer who could go the furthest without making a mistake with the metronome on won the money. So I mean, I, I, I had I had to get me some money. <laughs> and you, yeah, but you, and you, and you, you know, it was it was all beautifully designed. It was just this beautiful design of enlightenment because you know, thank God you had competition because. You know, you needed, I mean, you know, in order, I guess in order to play with Al Hurd and Mose and other cats, I mean, you had to at least learn to read the material. You had to know, you had to really learn how to read the material. The guys you're playing with, you know? Yeah. And luckily, luckily I was thrown into these positions. I was luckily... God put me in these positions. The roll of the dice put me everywhere. You know, I didn't plan it. Well, another fifty-one minutes in the book, Johnny. Um, are you going to be? Uh, are you going to be around on this holiday weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be here. Well, let, why don't we? Why don't we celebrate? Uh, the the independence of this country with a we'll do another installment i i mean i, th I really like the foundation we're building here right now cool yeah cool. yeah, yeah. Cool. all right much love to the fam dude be safe and yeah, uh man. all right yeah. and and uh I, i'm just i'm not released i'm gonna hang on to all this audio and then we'll talk about how to move forward but but i'm really enjoying the i'm enjoying the foundations the the you know the the astral rudiments of johnny vidakovich so to speak yeah you're right yeah, yeah. cool all right be cool man all right thank you jake take care of yourself Much yo johnny get me can you get me the number for that tub player aj and sherry i'm gonna look for it all right you just, you just send, shoot me a text or something all right all right all right be cool peace keeping me together great day see you tomorrow Thank you.